me. Well, today is uh, the first day of Advent, so welcome to the Christmas season. For those of you who aren't familiar with Advent, uh, it comes from a Latin word meaning coming, and, uh, and it's the idea of preparing the way for the coming king. And in, uh, in the Greek, the same translation of that word was the, the word that they used for coming of Jesus, the, the coming of the king, and it was like this, this beckoning. What would happen in that time was that in, in the culture, if the king was coming, it was a big deal. And so everybody in that town would start preparing for the coming of that king. And in certain cases, they'd even mint special coins to like commemorate the day. And they'd do all of this stuff to prepare the town. And, uh, and it was a really big deal. And so they used this term that we now call Advent for preparing of the king. And so this is the time of the season where we get to start preparing for our king. We get to start celebrating and remembering that Jesus came to this earth and chose to live a life where he revealed who God was to us, chose to come and reconcile us to God. Some of the greatest mysteries of all mankind, this is kind of the season where we start to remember and go like, oh yeah, like our God is that crazy. Our God is totally different than other expressions of God that we see out there. Like, who does this? Who sends their king into the, who sends their son into the world to reveal who God is, knowing that he'll die at the end of it, suffer a miserable death, and do all this to reconcile humanity back to himself? This is the season where we get to celebrate it. We get to turn on the radio, and we get to hear things declared across the airwaves about Jesus being king, and, and the first Noel, and, you know, all of these beautiful things. I love this time of year. There's always that moment where I turn on the radio. I never listen to the radio anymore, but like, you know, you turn on whatever, Pandora Christmas, and next thing you know, you're like, wow, like this is, these are crazy, beautiful songs sang everywhere about our God. And it's just an amazing season. So welcome to the holiday season. That's fun. It's the first day of Advent. I'm not one usually for great tradition, but I'm trying. I'm telling us about Advent. Here we go. This is me flexing an a atrophied muscle. All right, so we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 10. We're going to continue on in one of the biographies of Jesus. So turn to there if you, if you would like to follow along. Otherwise, you can just listen. And uh, we're going to continue on in the story of Jesus' life. All right, here we go. Verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out along with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter into any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or shirt or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. 
Whatever town or village you enter, search there for someone worth, some worthy person and stay in their home until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your, your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. So we talked a little bit about this passage last week, and we went through it, and we talked about how this is the time where the disciples become the apostles. They go from this lifestyle where they're used to being impressed by the things that Jesus was doing and getting to follow him around, watching amazing miracles happen through his hands and watching him preach with power to a place where they start now they're the ones that are sent out to do the same stuff. So this is transition from disciple, from learner to apostle, the one who's sent out with delegated authority. They go out in the authority to do the, to do the works that Jesus was doing himself. And I think the first thing to note here is that this is the plan of the Christian life for you and for me and for everybody who decides to follow Jesus. That while the life while life is a lifelong journey of discipleship where you never stop learning, at some point, it flips to a life where you're representing Jesus, where you're operating in his delegated authority, where he literally says, hey, the things that I've been doing, now you're intended to do those, and I, and I allow you to go out in my name and in my authority to do those things. And so we see for all of us, there's this there's this dual part of life that we're called to, whether we're living in the pinnacle of that now or not. I don't know about you, but my own assessment of my life, uh, you know, usually is probably harsher than those around me. I think about the things that Jesus calls us to do, like preaching the gospel to a town here and going and healing the sick and casting out demons and all this stuff, and I'm like, man, that sounds awesome, but it also sounds kind of intimidating. It sounds kind of scary. And I think if you understand what the Christian life is, if you understand the life that you're called to specifically, every person in here, everybody in the world has been intended to walk a life where you're representing Jesus, where you're conformed into the likeness of him. The best image there could possibly be, God says, I'm going to make you like him. And you're going to love like him. You're going to move in compassion like him. You're going to move in power like him. You're going to move in wisdom like him. And you're going to go out into this world and you're going to show who I am as the Father, as the God, as the one who created all of this stuff. And you're going to reveal my glory by the life that you live, living like Jesus. That's the call, just as a reminder, that's the call that all of us have. Now, whether we think we're doing a great job with that or not, or whatever else, that's inconsequential for now. But the point is, is when the Bible says that you've been called, you've been called to a great calling. There's no higher calling that you could be called to than to represent Jesus on the earth and to, and to represent God the Father as Jesus did. And so this is the moment for the disciples. This is the moment where they've been walking with him and he's like, okay, it's your turn now. You guys get to go out. So go out two by two. And he gives them all these instructions. He says, don't carry any bags. Don't take any gold in your belt. Don't bring an extra shirt. It seems like what, he, what he's saying here is he says in verse 10, he says, for the worker is worth his keep. 
The reason why he's doing this is because the worker is worth his keep. It's almost like he's making a way for the people that, that, he's going, that they're going out to to give something back to them. Now, as we unpack this passage, we'll talk about what it means to us, but I think we need to start here. Like, Jesus is intentionally sending out his workers with nothing. It's not that they don't have anything. It's actually that they have. You know, like, he wouldn't say that if they were broke. He wouldn't say that if they didn't have multiple clothes. If they didn't have any gold or silver to take with them, he would have just said, all right, go out. Right? But he says, hey, leave your stuff at home. And then he says, for the workers work their keep. There's something that we're going to come back to in a minute that has to do with this. There's something really important that happens here where there's need. Jesus is creating need that the people that will receive them can then address. He doesn't need to do this. This could be a one-way transaction, but there's something really important here where Jesus says, hey, don't go out with anything. And here's why. Because you're worthy of them paying into your life somehow. So we'll come back to that. And it has nothing to do with your tithe, by the way. So don't expect me to like, we're going to pass the bin again. Praise the Lord. No, I'm just kidding. We're not, we're not doing that. So he says, go into all these different villages. And he says, stay at their house for the person that you found worthy. Enter the home and give your greeting. If they're worthy, the greeting will stick. If not, your peace will bounce back to you. Like, what the heck kind of greeting is this, right? There's something in the way that they're coming and saying, peace be to this house, where if there's a deserved party on the other end of it, the peace stays there and it rests there. But if the party is not deserved, and we'll talk about what this means, then that peace bounces back and he says basically, like, your peace will return to you. You can leave and then you, like, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house, which basically means even the dust that you picked up in that location shouldn't be coming with you. You're rejecting it so much. Right? It's like, okay, you just rejected my revelation. I'm out of here. And not only am I out of here, I don't even want your dust. Like, that's what this is. Right? I, like, thorough, thorough rejection of, of what just happened there. So that's a really interesting part of this as well. And then the last piece is, if they hear you, if they see you preach the kingdom of God, if they watch you cast out demons, if they see you heal the sick, if they, they do all this stuff, and then they still reject you after that level of revelation, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment for that town. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah is a legendary story of the Old Testament, of the Jewish Bible, where these two cities just became so wicked— like, there was just such wickedness in those cities that they represent kind of the pinnacle of wickedness. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's like, hey, if, if they come in your midst and they see you preaching the words that I've preached and doing the things that I've done and they still reject you, judgment day is not going to be fun for them. And so that's what it's saying here. Now let's unpack exactly like what this means to us and, and how this translates to life. So there's a really interesting process of revelation and our responsibility that goes along with revelation that I want to share with us here. And there's multiple moments that we'll see in this passage, but these moments represent a process that you and I will go through our entire life. This is the process 
of having God revealed, you responding to that revelation, and then something coming out of it. So I'll get more specific as to what the process is, but I want to start with all of life is a response to a revelation that God will give you of himself. Sometimes we feel like the revelation of God is like a famine in our life. Man, I've been walking with Jesus. I haven't heard from him in 16 years, right? I read my Bible. It feels 200 miles away, right? All of this stuff. But what the Bible says is that the revelation of God is everywhere. It's in creation. It's in each other. We're created in his image. He says that he speaks to his children, whether, you know, we're getting it at that particular time or not. Whether you call yourself a Christian or you don't, what the Bible says is like that, that God has gone through great effort to reveal who he is in a number of different ways. And I remember I was talking to somebody recently, and we were talking about— I swear we weren't on drugs. You'll understand why I say that in a second. We were talking about how crazy it is to squeeze your hand. <laughs> Doesn't that feel like something on drugs? Like, wow. We were totally sober, I promise. But I was thinking, like, we were talking about, think of all the things that have to happen in order for you to squeeze your hand. It is absolutely mind-boggling, miraculous, insane. There must be a creator in order for this stuff to go on. Like, these things, okay, you think a thought, which are, we don't even know what thoughts really are. It's like something in your brain fires a few times, and then you're like, I kind of want to squeeze my hand. And you're like, but I know exactly what that means. And then you go, squeeze, and then you release, right? Like, just the simplest forms of life, when you stop and think about what it is, are utterly mind-blowing, revelatory, miraculous. Think about what I'm doing right now. I have something that's gone on in my brain. I have a lot of stuff that's going on in my soul. Through this process of communication, somehow these voice cord things come together into words where I can then impart to you the ideas that I have going on in my head. That is crazy. That is crazy. And then you can hear them through your ears, which I'm not even going to start there, right? Like sound waves go in and then it like hits your brain in a certain way and then you understand what crazy stuff. Like the level of crazy in this is mind-boggling. And it's just because it's common that we don't walk around astounded constantly, right? Like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And then just because science can explain like a sliver of it, somehow we think that it's not as crazy anymore. Oh, well, that's just happening because of this. And you're like, well, you just explained the crazy slightly, but you don't understand 98% of it. And that doesn't mean that it's not crazy anymore. It's still insane. Like this stuff, like the revelation of God is everywhere. You walk out and you look at the stars and you're like, wait, 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 wait. So at some point, some explosion happened, and now our universe is expanding at the speed of light and has been for however long you choose to believe, whether it's a zillion years or whether it's 10,000 or whatever. The universe is just going rapidly right now because of one single explosion. Like, like flies in all directions. Planets, galaxies, solar systems, like all of that stuff. Does that not communicate the splendor and the goodness of God? It's like the craziness of God. His revelation is everywhere. And what I'd propose to you is it's that our reception of those things that has a lot more impact on our lives than it does, is he speaking or is he not speaking to me at any particular time? Because I guarantee you, he is speaking to you. 
It's, is your heart in a place where it's ready to hear those things? And that's what we see when we look at this passage. There's this process of revelation, whether it be in the wonders or whether it be the disciples of Jesus going into a town and giving away revelation for free is the first part. The first part of this process is that revelation comes for free. He says, freely you've received, now freely give. Go out into this town, preach the gospel. Crazy revelation, right? Preach the mysteries of God. As you're preaching the mysteries of God so that they know that they should listen to you, go and heal some sick people. Show them who God is because you've just healed their sick. God doesn't like sickness. Get that out of there, right? Oh, there's a demonic person. Like, somebody's filled with a demon. God's not down for that either. Like, let's get rid of that. Like, all of these moments are revelations of who God's will is. The voice of God does not just go forth in sermons, in Bible studies. It's everywhere. It's literally everywhere. And so this one is like, a lot of people probably, actually, a lot of Christians think that the only point of the miracles was to show that the stuff that they said with their mouth was true revelation. It totally misses the point. It confines the revelation of, of God to a preaching moment. But there was as much revelation in the healing of the leper as there was in the, in the words that came out and said, here's the gospel message. Both God's actions and his words show who he is. So we need to pick it up wherever it's coming from. But the point is, the first part of this process is that it comes freely. It's in the heavens. It's coming through the mouths of the disciples. It's everywhere. Freely you have received. Now freely give. The second part of the process is there's a moment where that revelation hits the individual. I call this the moment of revelation. So there's the like, communication of it. There's the moment of the revelation. This is the part where they hear the words of the disciples or they see them doing some, they see them casting out a demon or doing something. Okay, then there's the, 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 the receipt, the, the, they receive it. The third part of it is there's an inconvenience that happens. Now, we've seen this in other places in the Gospels where right after there's a revelation from God, God does something that makes it inconvenient for the people to stay in that moment. And in this particular case, the inconvenience somewhat is they come in need. This is why they come in need. Because inconvenience or providing for somebody a place in your home, like think about this, they come into your town and you see them do this crazy stuff and you're like, wow, this is crazy. And they're like, hey, can we stay in your house tonight? And you're like, dang it. Like my mother-in-law's in from out of town we don't have a three-bedroom hut or whatever they were living in at the time, right? Like, I have to now feed you out of my pantry, let you bathe out of my tub, let you sleep in one of my beds. Maybe all my kids are now in my bed with me because you're in town. Like, there's this moment of inconvenience that happens oftentimes right on the other side of Revelation because what inconvenience does is it asks you the question, how valuable is this to you? That's what inconvenience does. And so there's another part in the gospel where Jesus does this credible miracle, and then there's these people standing around him, and he's like, you know, I'm going to leave now. And the disciples are thinking like, wait, 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 this is revival. 
there's like 15,000 people on this hill listening to your message. Why wouldn't you just camp out here all day long and share? And he's like, no, 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 we're going to get into a boat and we're going to leave. Some people at that moment go home. Some people walk around the lake to find him on the other side. There's, there's multiple responses after that. There's another moment where Jesus does this incredible miracle, and he then says, you guys need to understand something about my will. A key part of my will is that you eat my, eat my flesh and that you drink my blood. And they're like, what? Even the disciples go, Master, this is a very hard saying. Right? Most people just go, that's disgusting, and leave. His disciples say, man, we've experienced life in you. We have no else, nowhere else to go. If we did, we'd probably leave too. But we know that you hold the keys of life. And there's this thing that happens where, like, it's almost like the level of revelation that you get corresponds to this inconvenience factor where God calls you into something where there's a real test where it's like, how much does this really matter to you? The way that this shows up oftentimes is through this thing of honor. So oftentimes your value for something is shown in the way that you honor it. And so if you think about this, the disciples come, they come as a revelation of God. The receivers hear it. The ones that honor those disciples, you would be like, oh my gosh, will you please stay in my home? That would be the, that would be the honor of my life if you would stay in my home. Will you please stay in my home? There's that camp, right? But think about the other camp that would be like, gosh, I don't know. I don't know if I want them to stay in my home. It's kind of a, it's inconvenient. I got work tomorrow, early. What are they going to do? It's going to hang out my house? I don't know these people. I don't know anything about these people, right? Or I told my friend I was supposed to go over to their house for dinner tonight. Now they want to stay. Like, there's all of these things that just are real life. But the response, the difference of the two response is how much do you honor what's going on in that particular situation? How much do you honor the revelation of God? And how much do you honor the person that's bringing the revelation of God? I'm going to come back to that, but I want to finish kind of this process. Okay, so there's the inconvenience. So revelation freely, the moment of receiving revelation, the moment of inconvenience where you decide how valuable that revelation is to you, and then there's the point of accountability for the revelation by what the actions determined about the state of your heart. So what you do in that moment of inconvenience says something about your heart's readiness to receive the things that God has in that moment. And then there's accountability for that revelation is the last piece of it that we see, which is the part that honestly I sometimes like the least. Right? Like, let's be honest with that part. There's the part of that where you're like, shucks, like, I don't, I don't know that I want the accountability part. I kind of want all of the privilege of the revelation, but with none of the responsibility. Does anybody feel like that when you're thinking about revelation and walking with God? Man, like, I don't like that revelation. I'm not going to do that one. Ooh, that's a good revelation. I'm going to do that one. Right? And I feel like, you know, there's this thing in me that I will confess to you guys about the accountability portion that's like, there's such a nice part uh, of immaturity. You know? Like, there's this, this wonderful thing about immaturity that my daughters experience right now. Like, I don't have much expectation of them, right? 
Like, I'm a, I'm a just father for the most part, and so I know that they don't know anything, right? And so, like, when we're cleaning up, her, McKenna's room's a disaster, and I'll be like, okay, baby, like, you deal with those three books, and I'll deal with the tornado that you left in your room, <laughs> right? Because I want her to participate in the process. Like, I don't want to be a codependent to her where I'm just doing everything for her all the time, because then she's stuck in a place of immaturity for the rest of her life. And so the way that great parenting works and the way that God works is that according to your level of maturity is according to your level of accountability. And so I think oftentimes, for those of us who've been walking with God for a while, we feel like his burden is incredibly heavy in this life, oftentimes because we demand a level of maturity that's beyond where we are. We make an assessment of our own life and say, well, I know I should be here because that guy that gave the testimony last week, he seems like he's here. And I've seen a lot of stuff, and so I should probably be there. And so, man, I can't believe I did that again this week. I can't even ask God for help because I'm so disappointed in myself. Right? And that's what happens. Your assessment of where you are versus where you should be then cuts you off from the grace of God because you put yourself in the camp of, I shouldn't need this right now. And then you cut yourself off from the very grace that can actually get you to where you need, want to be. And that's how shame works. It happens so fast. Darn it. I should have done better there. And you, instead of just going, God, we did it again. Like, I screwed it up again. Like, can you sweep in? Can you do something here? Can you help me out here? Because if you don't do it, I'm probably going to end up here again. And you shake off that shame thing, and you go, man, I'm thankful for your grace. And then you end up in a place of thanksgiving for God's grace, and, and, and a door to more grace can flood into your life rather than cutting off the, the door of grace because you don't enter a place of thankfulness. You enter a place of shame and you live in the penalty box for a few days. And so this whole idea of self-assessment is like toxic. I talk about this all the time because it's so prevalent in me and in you, I promise. <laughs> it's, but me too. Like I put myself in this camp. I need to remind myself of this all the time. All the time. Which is like, the shame condemnation thing, the slapping myself on the back, it just doesn't work. It doesn't lead to fruit in life. It leads to death. It just does. And so you don't do the self-assessment thing apart from the Holy Spirit. What David modeled for us is, Lord, search me and know me. Look, in, look inside of me and find the stuff that you want to talk about. Not, hey, I'm going in alone. I'll find some garbage and then I'll present it to you. That's the version we do. And it never ends up in anything that's healthy. So we do both. We, it's not that we don't address that stuff. We go, Lord, it's still in there. Like, we provide the grace in your due time and in your due season. And by the way, in the meantime, as I stay in this open posture to you, nothing will separate me from you. Not this thing that I want out of my life. It doesn't have the power to do that as long as I stay open to you. That's what it looks like. That's both. But there is an accountability thing here. There is a thing where, like, as you mature, and as this thing happens, and as God 
grows you up as an adult, like I talked about with McKenna, there will be a time where I'm not going to clean up her whole mess for her. But it's after these years of maturing, just like with Jesus and his disciples. He sends them out and he says, okay, go do this stuff. And they're probably terrified, but they've seen enough of him that now they can do it. It's after these years of discipleship. And so there is a, a point of accountability at the end. The crazy thing that I also want to highlight about this passage is that the same thing that the, the town is going through in terms of this process of revelation is the same thing the disciples are going through. No, no one's exempt from this. Their moment of revelation is standing before Jesus, and he says, I've given you authority. Their moment of inconvenience is, do I need to actually walk into these towns with no gold, no silver, no provision whatsoever, and wondering if this authority thing is actually going to work out for me when I get there? Remember, they had never experienced this before. So this is their moment of inconvenience. And their heart has seen enough of Jesus where they go, okay, I've invested two years, like I'm neck deep in this thing, let's go, two by two. Probably went two by two so that they couldn't actually just like, you know, sit on the curb for a couple days and come back and be like, all right, I did it, right? <laughs> it's like they needed each other. And then they go and they, they have this moment of inconvenience and then, in this case, they had a great victory. They got to see God flow through their life in this crazy way, and they were like, man, I thought life was good following Jesus before. This new life where I get to do this stuff, this is way better. This is way better than just watching him do the cool stuff. Now I get to participate. Wow, maturity is wonderful. Right? This is the blessing of maturity. Like, Yes, maturity carries some weight of responsibility. I've never carried more weight of responsibility in my entire life. I've got two kids. I've got a job that's demanding. I pastor a church. I have a mortgage. Like, there's a lot of responsibility stuff going on. But what God has done throughout the year is he's had these moments where there's been revelation. I've received them. I've honored them. I've stepped through the inconvenience. And on the other side, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're so much better than I thought you were. And then more revelation comes and I don't honor that one, and that passes, and I go, God, I didn't honor that one. I missed that one. Please bear with me. And then I go to the next one, and I go, God says, I don't want you to get married when you've set your marriage date. God, you realize that'll tear Suki in half, right? Leave her to me. Okay, God, that feels pretty inconvenient. Moment of revelation, point of inconvenience, what do you do? Sorry, Suki, we can't do this in six weeks. I don't know what God's doing. Talk to him. Don't get mad at me. <laughs> right? Then you go through it. Her broken heart is bound. Like she had a crazy broken heart during this time. And God bound it up in the matter of a month. And then when we were standing there actually getting married, she was marrying me from a place of strength in God not a place of desperation that she needed something and was pulling from me, right? Like, his ways are just beautiful, but what happens is there's these processes of maturity that we're going through, right? And the pinnacle we can look at, the nice part is you are predestined to be conformed into his likeness. That is a statement about your destiny. What is destiny? It's the thing that, like, pulls you whether you're moving in that direction or not, right? You watch these movies about destiny, and that's what, it, that's what it's like. 
these two people are destined to meet, and this one goes this way, and this one goes this way, but somehow, you know, this thing happens, and, you know, all, all of a sudden, boom, they meet in, in New York City, and they're like, oh, <laughs> destiny, right? Like, that's the idea of destiny. And so there's this, like, as you say yes to God, there's this gravitational pull thing where God is pulling you into the likeness of Christ, and we think it's so fragile, but his gravity, his force is pulling you in. And it's, it's our understanding of his strength that makes more of a difference than our own strength in all of this stuff. Right? It's our belief in his sufficiency more than it is our self-sufficiency. When you say it like that, you go like, oh, of course it is. But our thinking in our day-to-day -day does not reveal that at all. It's like when he says you're predestined, are you predestined or not? When he says that your, his spirit is the one that sanctifies you and leads and guides you into all truth, is that true or is that not? As you give him your yes, allow his force to pull you with him. I was reading Psalm 139 this week, and it says, even the darkness is light to him. And I quoted this. I love this part. But it says, it says, like, if I go and, and, and I go to the heights of heaven, you're there. If I go and make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I try to hide in the darkness, even the darkness is light to you. He is so good. The same one that does this thing or does the stars thing or all of that stuff is the one that's predestined you. I think he can probably figure out your weaknesses. I think he's probably big enough to be able to navigate your weaknesses to a place where you get to the destination of Christ. You're in his likeness. You're in a place of maturity. But that is our destiny. It's this place of maturity where we have great responsibility, but responsibility is not a burden at that point because we have the shoulders to carry it. And the shoulders are not our own personal strength. They're faith that's unshakable that allows you to do things that you couldn't do otherwise. You know, when, I, when Suki and I took this church back over, we had this long period where we had to lay this church down. This was the moment of inconvenience. We started this church. We felt like PB and Sonny were supposed to lead it for a short while because we were beaten and bashed and bruised. And so this moment of revelation comes, and God says, like, I want them to lead this church. And I got really comfortable with them leading this church. I enjoyed no responsibility for a, couple, for a year. It was awesome. I was like, man, I feel like I've been trying to carry this responsibility that's way too heavy. And so they take it. When PB said he'd, when he, PB said he'd step in, I started weeping in his kitchen. I was under so much responsibility that I didn't know that I, that I didn't feel like I could carry. That a year and a half later when he said, hey, I felt it too, so I, I, I could feel it coming. I was like, oh, Lord, here it comes, you know? And then PB confirms one day. He's like, hey, I think you guys are supposed to step back in in the near future. I'm like, I know. And honestly, it was like, man, I know. You know what terrified me? Was trying to be a father of two, to work full time, and have to do this every week. I had no confidence in my ability to preach. I didn't feel like I could do this. In fact, when I did, it took me hours to prepare to come up here. And it's kind of an exposing thing to be up here. You know, like... Talk about a moment of inconvenience where God says, like, hey, you're going to be the dude preaching pretty much every week. And I'm like, I feel like I'm terrible at that. Like, I don't feel equipped to do that. And because I don't feel equipped to do it, I spend eight hours, my entire, like, you know, 
entire Sunday plus extra hours through the week trying to get good at this thing. And, you know, I'm like, okay, God, like, I will do this if you promise to make that a lighter weight for me. And he's like, good. We're good. You, you can't do this unless I show up? Well, there's a novel plan, right? Like, <laughs> when you unpack it, it's like, oh, yeah, that's how it's supposed to work. But, man, it's hard. Like, that was a point of faith. I was like, gosh, this feels so heavy. And week after week, a little bit of the fear of man would fall off. And then my prep time got a little bit shorter. And then all of a sudden, it felt more comfortable. And, you know, next thing you know, it's like, it's not a big burden. Like, that's how responsibility in the kingdom works. But it comes through this process of revelation. Revelation extended freely. Do you honor it and receive it? Do you go through the point of inconvenience? And then do you end up on the other side? That's, that's how this works. And you notice it in both the disciples' lives as well as in the lives of the people in the town. It's the same exact thing. Inconvenience of hosting them? What's the reward on the other side? Peace rests on my house. Wow, ever since we honored those people for those two days, remember those two guys that came and stayed with us? Doesn't it just feel like there's peace on this house? We just don't fight anymore in a way that's like vicious and gnarly. Right? Like, like the don't fight anymore in a way, still fight, but like you, you mend, mend fast and you move on. Right? Like the peace of God rests on that house and there's this living in the revelation, the, re the receiving, and the moment on the other side. I remember um, there was this time where I was sitting on an airplane and this happens for me a lot. Uh, I was sitting there and I like lay my head down. I'm so tired. I can't remember what I was doing. I think I was coming back from a work trip. And I felt like the Lord was telling me to tell this dude that was sitting like across the row, one row, one row back, that he had grown up with an understanding of who God was. And he had left that and his life was in shambles. He had just gone through a gnarly divorce and that God was calling him back to his roots to where he wanted him to draw him back into self and that there's life involved. So you can imagine, like, right? It's, that's awkward. It's super awkward, right? Like, the guy I looked back, I'm like, yeah, he doesn't look friendly. <laughs> right? Like, if it had been the lady that's, like, smiling and all this, like, he didn't look friendly. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, and I got the word before, I like, you know, like, I looked back and saw the scowl on the face, and so I'm like, yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. <laughs> and so you have that moment where you're like, are you going to do this or not? It took me, like, two or two hours into the plane flight because I'm like, maybe if I get closer to the destination and I blow the word, it's like totally wrong. I won't feel like a fool sitting next to this guy who's right here for the entire four-hour flight. So finally, I get up the, the, the nerve and I lean over and I said, hey, I know this is super awkward, but I felt like God was speaking to me about you. And this is what he said. You grew up in a Christian home. You learned the things of God, some true and some not true in your Christian home growing up. And as you went through life, you left your roots. You're just coming out of a hard divorce, and things are really tough. I wanted to let you know that I believe God's inviting you back into a connection with him in a way that he wants to give you life and give you life abundantly. Amen. And I, like <laughs> and I turned around, and I'm like, all right, I did it, right? Like, the joys of obedience. Now I can just sleep here in peace, right? And, uh, and so... 
the, the little woman with the cart comes cruising down the aisle, and the guy goes, hey, and he goes, can I get a double bourbon? <laughs> it's like, that's one way to interact with Revelation, right? And so the guy has his drink, and I'm sitting there, and he goes, hey, that's a, that was a cool parlor trick. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean? And he goes, like, that was a good trick. Do you do that a lot? And I was like, you know, when God speaks to me. <laughs> and, uh, and so we started getting in this dialogue, and it turns out, sure enough, grew up in a Christian home, just had gone through a gnarly divorce, and you could tell that the guy having the drink was his, it was like his reckoning, right? Like, holy smokes, this guy just read my mail. Like, what am I going to do with it? Am I now going to move to the point of inconvenience where I talk to him, where I open my heart? My heart's hurt. Do I do this? My heart feels pretty hard right now. I don't know that I want to do this. I guess so. And then we ended up, I ended up hanging out with him in the smoking lounge for like an hour. And we just talked about his life and we ended up praying with him and all that stuff. I don't know what would happen with him. But this is what life is filled with, both with us as the worker and as the recipient. And what I, wanted to, what I wanted to say to us or what I wanted to implant in you is this is a way of life. This isn't, this isn't like a, you know, a fringe thing. This is like a cornerstone moment. Like this is how we see the world. That, that what life looks like is God revealing himself in these beautiful ways. It hits us sometimes in ways where we're like, oh my gosh, of course I'll receive that. You just melted my heart. I'm so good with that revelation. And other times it hits us in a way where it, it hits a hard part of our heart where there's a wound there or there's a, a scab from a prior wound or there's something like a point of resistance. And these are the moments where God's saying like, do you push through the resistance in my strength and experience the kingdom in the same way that happened with this town or do you decide that it's not worth it in those moments and push it away and decide to go on and just decide it's not worth it and that the things of life have gotten away from me and I'm just going to go that route? Like, I live my life with a weight of responsibility that this is my world, world view. Like, I know that one day that I'll stand before the Lord. It talks about it right here. It says, there will be a day of judgment where you stand and you give an account, and that account has to do with the revelation that you've been given. And so I stand in a place where I'm like, man, I feel like I've been given a lot of revelation. And Lord, it is the desire of my life that I steward your revelation well. Like, that is the thing. Because our actions flow from the way we think, I don't know that there's anything else more important than this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. Right? Like, there's this whole, faith is a huge deal, and this is the process of faith. Faith comes by hearing. The revelation comes. Hearing by this word of the Lord that comes, and then it's this moment. What do I do with it? And I think what I've gotten good at over the years, or better at over the years, is not just shouldering the weight of that obedience moment in myself. Right? Like, I can tell you right now that I'm a weak enough person that I will not respond to the revelation of the Lord in my life without the power of the Spirit. Whenever it feels heavy, it's because you're trying to do it without the power of the Spirit. 
Everything that we do in life, including obedience, is to be done in the power of God. Otherwise, it's self-righteousness. Otherwise, you stand before the Lord and you're like, I nailed that. Every time you gave me a revelation, I crushed it. Like, give me my rewards. Right? Rather than, oh my gosh, every time you gave me a revelation, I had this moment where I was like, oh Jesus, 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 oh Jesus. And you showed up. And you did the thing that I couldn't do by myself. And that's our life. Revelation. Moment of inconvenience. I'm not sure I want to do that inconvenience. Holy Spirit, I need your strength to do this inconvenience. Awesome. Now I'm going to choose in knowing that I have your strength. Wow. That was even better than I thought. Like the disciples. They thought the pinnacle of life was following around Jesus, getting to watch him do the stuff. And then they go through this moment of inconvenience. Holy smokes. I get to do this stuff. Completely different. Completely expanded view more than they could ask or imagine. And it happened through this process. Free revelation. Revelation comes. Moment of inconvenience. Response. And that, I would throw out to you or propose to you, is a worldview. It's a way of living life. You get to now walk around not scared of revelation because you're partnered with the Spirit. Excited for what God can show you around the next bend. Like, okay, I'm not terrified of hearing the voice of the Lord anymore because before I felt like I would have to carry it out just in my own strength. But now, if I hear the voice of the Lord, I can go, okay, God, scary, super scary, help, awesome, thank you, move forward. And so life becomes this, like, endless treasure hunt of the mysteries, the great mysteries of God. Like, wow, I get to understand who he is more and more. And then as I understand who he is more and more, I get to be conformed into his likeness. And as I get to be conformed into his likeness, I get to do the stuff that he's doing. Wow, what a privilege to be able to love the world in this way. And that's life. That's the life that we get to live in him. That's what's modeled here in both the disciples and in the recipients. So there's a couple of call to actions here, but I want to invite the worship team up. So last week, I, uh, who was here last week? Wow, really? I got a lot of turnover. Maybe it's just people who don't want to raise their hand. I'll assume that one. Last week, I talked about setting feasts of remembrance. Do you guys remember that? Did anyone set a feast of remembrance? Yeah? Sweet! Uh, I set a feast. Uh, June 27th is going to be my feast. And this is a day of remembering where God blew my mind in terms of what life in the Spirit could be. So this was a day where my Christianity went from one where I just felt the burdens of like trying to be something that I wasn't to God coming in this powerful way and me getting to live in the life of the Spirit that's described in Galatians chapter 5, where I'm filled with love, I'm filled with peace, I'm filled with patience, I'm filled with kindness, I'm filled with goodness, I'm filled with gentleness, I'm filled with self-control. Like, there was this moment where God swooped in and is like, this is life in the Spirit. And I was like, oh my gosh, this life is amazing. And I tasted and I've seen and I've never gone back. Because it was just like, I've lived, I've lived this before and I'm not... That is life. That is life more abundantly. 
And that happened on June 27th, 2001, when I was at this conference, and this beautiful spiritual experience happened. And I had my mom go back in her Bible. She was praying for me, and she wrote stuff in the margins all the time as to, like, when stuff would happen. And so she wrote this down. I didn't remember the day. And she's like, hey, I found it in my Bible. It was June 27th. So thank God for a praying mom, right? So cool. That Bible's my inheritance, by the way, when she passes on. I'm going to cherish that thing. But these feasts of remembrance, why do they matter in this whole process that I just talked about? Because we're talking about the things of the heart. And whether we respond to the revelation or whether we don't has everything to do with the state of our heart. And so when I talk to you guys about feasts of remembrance or when I talk to you about the importance of worship or when I talk to you about the importance of prayer or meditation where you get before the Lord and you're like, man, God, you knit me together in my mother's womb. You knew my days before every one of them began. You knew my thoughts even before I think them. This knowledge is too wonderful for me. When you meditate on that stuff, it's preparation for the revelation. It puts your heart in this soft state that then God comes in and he says, hey, I'd like you to do this thing that I don't want you to do. And you're like, I can say yes because my heart is so supple to you right now that I'm down. And we can't be there every time, which is why we have the, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord. I'm saying, oh Lord, it's really hard to say really fast. <laughs> oh Lord, oh Lord. We have those moments where we say, hey, even in my weakness, I don't want to do this. You strengthen me. But the better place is the place of maturity where your heart is just so soft and supple where you're like, yeah, spirit, let's go this way. Ooh, yes. Yep, let's go over here. It doesn't even matter because you're so good, right? That's the better way. And that stuff happens by feasts of remembrance. That stuff happens by the stuff that we talk about in here. That stuff happens when we're worshiping God and going like, oh, I remember who you are. Oh, my heart is softer to you because that remembrance is fresh and it's real. That's why feasts of remembrance matter. Every year I'm going to celebrate the fact that God gave me to taste the life of the Spirit. Go like, oh yeah, I remember why I've chosen this path. So this isn't just like play game stuff that we do in here. When I, like, when I say like, hey, you should live like this, like, it's almost always with this as an ends in mind. Like, live with your heart soft towards God so that you stand before him one day and he goes, you did great. You did great. And so that's what we're going for. That's what we're going for. All right, let's stand and worship. I'll pray for us. All right, we're going to have a prayer team up here. If you want prayer for anything at all, whether it was related to the message or not, please come forward. You know, it's funny. Even things like the prayer ministry is a part of responding to Revelation. Do you guys... Like, once you start to see life like this, you see it everywhere. But it's like you hear a message. Revelation goes forth. You feel like, wow, it would be powerful for me to respond to this revelation through prayer. I don't know. It's kind of far down the aisle, and it's kind of in the front of the church, so I don't know that I want to do that. Right? Like, that, that's a part of the thing. The whole thing is like, be leaned in in a way where you're like, okay, I want to respond to the revelation that's coming into my life. So let's pray.
God, we thank you for the plans that you have for us. We thank you that they're plans not to harm us, God, but to give us a hope and to give us a future. God, thank you that in Romans chapter 8, you say that we're predestined to be conformed into the likeness of Christ. As we give you our yes and say, yes, God, I want life with you and life to the fullest. We enter into your gravitational pull towards that destiny, God. And so, Lord, I ask over this group of people, Lord, including myself, that you would make us people, God, that are so hungry and excited about revelation and what your spirit will do to allow us to embrace revelation, that we come people who are looking for your word, looking for your, your word, looking for your, the ways that you're exposing yourself in, 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 in who you really are, God, constantly. God, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see, and I pray most of all that you'd give us soft hearts to be able to receive the revelation that you have for us, God. And God, we also, many of us are also in the place where we're longing to be like the transition point with the disciples where it's like, I want to be doing the stuff. I don't want to just receive the revelation. I want to be the revelation. I've received a lot of revelation. Now it's time for me to be the revelation. And God, by the power of your spirit, I pray that you'd swoop in, God. And as we give you our yes to be your revelation on the earth, God, I pray that you'd empower us with boldness, with love, and with the power to be able to expose who you really are and to show this world that Jesus is alive. We ask for that, God. And we thank you, God, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want prayer, come on up. Otherwise, let's worship God.